Uh, okay, so we can get started now. Um, we usually like to start by asking you to give a brief like self-introduction, like a nice summary of uh, your career so far and where you currently work on. Uh, um, so I've been in recruiting for about 14 years now. I started at Electronic Arts in Vancouver as a as a game tester. My first uh, it was Rugby 2006. Um, and then from there, uh, took a bunch of testers and they turned them into a recruiting team to hire the next sort of crop of testers. We hired like 400 people a year at that point. Um, so I did that for four or five months. And... Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I did, after we did that hiring push, I moved into the, uh, I guess the the more formal recruiting team at EA, which would hire engineers and engineers, um, project managers, things like that. Um, so I spent about four and a half years there. Then I went to a startup which was uh, called Action Pants, which was acquired by Ubisoft uh, about a year later. I uh, stayed there for another year, so I was there for about two years total. I moved uh, to from there to help grow the gaming uh, business in Vancouver, and I've been here for the last eight and a half years. So here I'm, as um, in Redmond? Uh, I'm in Vancouver, actually. Oh, you're in uh, Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we bought us, Microsoft bought a small studio in Vancouver back in 2010. It was an acquisition. And then they wanted to ramp up and build a few new teams. At that time, we were looking at more social uh, gaming, like Facebook and sort of mobile PC type stuff. But that was right around the time of the Connect launch and, and the new console. And so we sort of pivoted to more console development. So um, I started to build a team, which eventually became the Gears of War team. And that's primarily what I've, I've focused on here in Vancouver, although I have supported Halo and Turn 10 and Minecraft and some of our you know, Xbox Live and, and sort of infrastructure teams as well. You know, support that's all the different neat. studios. Uh, but now I, I oversee all of the teams here in Vancouver, which is gaming, OneNote, Skype, Bing, Azure, so a bunch of more traditional non-gaming Microsoft products as well. So we have about 650 people up in Vancouver, um, with, but the Gears of War team is our largest team at about 200 full-time and 100 contractors. So what does the day-to-day -day of a recruiter look like? <laughs> lots of emails, <laughs> lots of phone calls, um, but uh, yeah, it's actually quite dynamic. I mean, uh, Pretty quickly, obviously, there's a lot of competition for um, you know talent uh, in the technology industry. So um, it's really just sort of um, you know sort of trying to balance your time between you know giving candidates a good experience and making sure that they feel like that you're responsive and following up and you know managing them through the process, but as well making sure that hiring managers feel like you're you know being communicative, you know providing them with good candidates and um, you know helping them to to consult them and, and help them through the decision-making process as well. So it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of sort of balls in the air and things to manage at any given time. And, um, you know, you figure out your system for that, but um, yeah, ultimately it, it's just sort of, you know, mostly focusing my time on, on speaking with candidates, getting them interested and, you know, selling them on the, op the opportunities here and the benefits of working at Microsoft and, and then sort of helping them through the process and making sure they, they feel the love. So I always had the impression that big companies like Microsoft have like an, an immense recruiting machinery. Um, but I, I think lately I've been hearing more that most recruiting teams are just really small. And is that, is that true in your case? Well, it, it's all relative. So I think, you know, we have lots of recruiters at Microsoft. We also have a hundred thousand employees. Um, you know, we hire more than I think seven, 11,000 people. So um, it, it, it can feel overwhelming for sure um, at times. And especially when, you know, you're, you're in a position where you have a lot of different businesses to support, but ultimately, yeah, I think, you know, the recruiting recruiters generally are, are managing anywhere between like 30 to 50 positions at any given time. And as you can imagine, each position might have, you know, five to 10 candidates each. So if you sort of scale that out, you're, you're sort of dealing with, 100 plus candidates, uh, 20 to 30 plus hiring managers, and so trying to keep um, you know everybody informed at the and making sure that people feel like they know what's going on. Um, I think insight into sometimes maybe why candidates feel like they're they're not necessarily getting a lot of attention or, or not hearing updates as, 
as fast as they would like. Um, uh, and that's something, you know, uh, mm, yeah. and something that I want to provide to people. But I think at, at the end of the day, you know, you just have to remember that, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of activity going on. And, and it, sometimes it's it's hard to, to sort of give a touch point every day, just given the scale of people that we're, we're interacting with. It sounds like there's a customer service aspect to the job where you might be dealing with people who are like, maybe they're stressed out or anxious and you're trying to help them feel better. You know, companies do this differently. So when I was at Electronic Arts, I think, you know, the role of the recruiter there was a little bit more about sort of doing deeper interviews and and sort of like fully assessing people throughout the the whole process. And Mm -hmm. I feel like at Microsoft, it's a little bit more... um, sort of championing the candidate and making sure that people feel comfortable and can present them their best selves in interviews. Like, you know, my goal is not to make people feel nervous about coming here or feel, you know, that um, all on them. Like I try to coach people on what to expect, give them an idea of the types of questions they're going to have. Like we're not trying to trick anybody. We really want you to like come here and show your best interviews are that is makes people nervous and so i try to just put people at ease and, and then hopefully they'll be able to um you know to review process because you know ultimately after you join the team that you you know you, as you onboard and get to know people but um you know that once that stuff goes away then you can really show your true self and i'm trying to i'm trying to get people to feel that way in the interview and you know really understand like the person that you are and that we'll be working with over the long term that's really cool. Like on the, in this community, we talk a lot about like resume tips and interview tips, and like you you eventually get to realize like you know there's a lot of random stuff that can just mess you up. And as an organization, it makes perfect sense to be like, yeah, there's a lot of random stuff that can mess people up. So having someone whose job is to be like the champion of the candidate and to help mm-hmm. them through that process and present them the, their best self that sounds like a no brainer. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's. Uh... Like I said, it's it's it's, it's nerve wracking enough, especially like for maybe bigger companies like Microsoft or your Google or Facebook. I think the tendency to think of those companies is that you know it's a it's a big corporation and maybe people nice or they're just trying to uh, to, to sort of give you a hard time to see how you you handle that situation. And uh, my experience has been kind of the opposite. Uh, you know, I think most most everybody that I work with at Microsoft is, is very nice and friendly. And of course, you know, there, there's a high bar for the quality of work that you do here. And it sort of keeps you um, motivated to do your best work all the time. But by and large, everybody treats treat, has treated me with a lot of respect and, and fairness. And um, I haven't run into those types of personalities. Uh, I want to just uh, suggest that if anyone has a question, feel free to jump in. You can also ask in text chat chat thing will I just show in this uh, bottom yeah uh, so in the AMA voice channel it's only a voice channel and then the ask okay. me anything text channel is only a text channel but you can be in both at the same time okay. so okay. that's that's how discord works <laughs> uh, uh, this is my first time on discord I know we just partnered with them uh, Microsoft just set up some partnerships but oh, uh, yeah I saw the Xbox partnership then we uh, so it's newer to me, but I've heard Phil talk about it uh, a month, and I know he meets with the founders, has been meeting with the founders quite regularly, so it's cool to see a partnership strike up. Yeah, I've actually been thinking about submitting some feature requests lately because uh, that's something that I need to get better at. I'm like, you know, I use a lot of products and I have a lot of apps, but I never actually communicate them to the team. And <laughs> like, you need to remind yourself that there's a team there and, and everything. So you're, you're ex-Microsoft. Were you involved in like some of the interviewing processes, like interviewing candidates? or Not directly. My teammates were. Um, I, I think that if I... So I was there for two years. I think if I was there for the following year, I probably would have started getting looped into stuff. Uh, but the I, I was indirectly involved in a lot of hiring decisions, just like hearing my teammates discuss candidates in meetings and um, so I got a sense to see what it was like. Uh, and I also have a, my brother was, uh, works at Microsoft as well, and he's very involved in their team hiring. Um, 
he works in Bing Ads. And, like, okay. it really does, like, it remind you a lot of how, yeah, even if a team has, like, really strong recruiters, each individual team member, in a way, has to get ramped up on best practices for hiring. And, like, they need a little bit of training. <laughs> and yeah. I remember when I was there, like, the, the part of the employee training every year was, like, hiring is the most important thing you'll ever do. And so even even that was covered. Certainly, um, you know, I think it, it definitely takes a team. And so I spend a lot of time, you know, especially when I'm working with new teams and hiring for them, just making sure they understand that, you know, candidates have choice these days, right? There's so many opportunities in technology competing for talent, for game gaming talent specifically as, as well. So, um, you know, as much as we're interviewing candidates, they're, they're interviewing us as yeah. well. And so if they walk around, walk away with a negative impression, even if we want to hire them and they've got three other options, like, you know, what, what's going to compel them to, to choose us over those other things. And I think one of the, just of sort of the, the, the game that you might be working on or the actual position itself, like, you know, sometimes you can't necessarily compete with other opportunities there, but you can always compete by giving that candidate a good experience and, we talk about in recruiting, like there's sort of three C's, like either that person will be a coworker, a customer, or, or like a client, a competitor, right? So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and especially for a company like Microsoft, like shape or form that you interact with somebody, like with a negative experience, that's going to affect them as a consumer or as a competitor and maybe as a future coworker, so maybe you yeah. you don't give a good experience they end up joining your team like how is that person going to feel when they're now working with you like it this doesn't really start off on the right foot so um it, yeah it's just again something that i talk to them about they're they're you know providing interviewers that you know have a passion for recruiting they want to be involved with it they understand the importance of it and so um you know these are some of the things that like from a recruiter that perspective that i try to consult with the clients on to make sure that we're we're kind of on the same page there i think it really helps students to also see how messy the process can be sometimes and how imperfect it can be totally uh, because there is a lot of like anxiety that i see from people who go through an interview process they don't get hired for whatever reason and they don't get as much feedback about why and maybe yeah. there isn't much maybe there isn't much feedback to give other than we found someone better uh, <laughs> but uh, I do think that yeah mm -hmm. yeah I, I was just gonna finish the thought saying like I do think that it helps people like once you see how messy the process is it kind of it, mm -hmm. it personally lowered a lot of my anxiety and worrying about it I'm like oh it's just a messy process I just have to try again <laughs> what, what I guess what do you mean by messy process like by messy I mean like when sometimes people tend to build up this impression of like oh it's like a perfect system right if, yeah. if you're really if you're really amazing you'll you'll for sure get hired and like almost like an exam or like i don't know like people think of google's crazy hiring practices from early in the day and they're like and right, they right. just feel they, they just get a lot of these weird thoughts and i'm like no here's a more grounded vision of what this actually looks like and i personally in my head classify it as oh it's messy it's not perfect um but maybe a different word would be more appropriate for others well i think you know as best as we can we try to structure interviews and so the hiring managers will give each interviewer a, a few core competencies to focus on so that in a way we try to get a, a pretty broad somebody's particular background and as well leave space for, for sort of conversations that might go into different topics organically so we try to set some structure around interviews but i mean you know we're all mm -hmm. humans we're not robots yeah and um i think some level of subjectivity in that interaction and so there's a lot of discussion like within microsoft and other tech companies on well interviewing like you know the whiteboarding process like that's it's not how people code right you sit at a desk you have some time to think you can GitHub you can or Google, Google if you need some help. Like so, you know, we've we've talked a lot about like, is there a way for us to provide like the candidate with an opportunity to come in for a couple hours? We give them a coding exercise. They sit, you know, alone in the room, and then we just go through that code and like, why did you make this choice? And, and what if we threw in this requirement or restriction? How would you change your like design or architecture to to fit that new problem? So we are thinking of 
but I, I don't think there's ever going to be a one size fits all because I think some people are naturally good at speaking out loud and, and confident at a whiteboard, whereas some people might feel a little bit of pressure sitting at a computer for two hours and know that like there's a deadline that they have to crank out some code. And yeah, um, so there's always going to be like pros and cons to every approach. Um, but I just, I just think no, like, you know, we are human, we are doing our best to, to sort of evaluate you based on the requirements and the things that are most important for that job. Um, you know, there's always going to be some level of, of like, you know, bias, whether it's unconscious or, ending um throughout that process and of course we're trying to limit that but just you know we're human and, and things like that are going to happen so feedback so gonna, i know yeah oh, sorry go just, i was just going to read things i'll let you finish feedback <laughs> point because i know that's one of like as a recruiter i think we have a bad reputation around you know not following up with candidates and, and not really giving you feedback i personally i, I try to do every time and generally if you've come in for an interview you're going to get at least a phone call um, mm -hmm. to go through that and and i think some recruiters are a little nervous about being detailed with that feedback from a legal perspective but i personally at least try to give people two to three meaty reasons why we may not have moved forward and sometimes that is you know you just got beat out by another candidate usually there's a couple of things that that went wrong or, or gave the, the team a little bit of pause before that ultimately led, led them to, to make a no hire decision. But I think, you know, honestly, if you spend four to five hours with us, the least we could do is give you some, we decided not to move forward. And, you know, mm -hmm. how detailed that is, 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 you know, up to the recruiter and their comfort level. But, um, you know, I've opened myself up to some debates, you know, with candidates when I've provided feedback like that. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all adults and and i think people deserve to know where they went wrong so they can try to improve themselves the next time yeah and so i'm gonna read a question posted by zane uh hi thanks for talking to us how has recruiting at microsoft changed with the growth of game development academic programs and or indie publishing is the pool of potential recruits changing and their expectations etc um so I think the question is, you know, because there's more schools now that focus on game development, um, like, are we seeing, uh, like, candidates that we might have previously with just more traditional university? Uh -huh. Are we also seeing, like, maybe more candidates have just homegrown skills that didn't go to school, but they just spent time building games and learning you know, Unity or, or Unreal and things like that? Yeah, I think that's just okay. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So um, from a recruiting perspective, I think we are more, um, it's it's almost like a discipline-specific thing, just to be, to be blunt and honest. So for engineering, um, some of those game development programs, at least from like what we would consider in Microsoft terms, like they may not be teaching um, some of the under underlying engineering fundamentals around design patterns and data structures, object-oriented programming, algorithms. And so at least at a Microsoft level, these are kind of the baseline things that we look at from an engineering perspective because we feel if a candidate is strong in these areas, they'll be able to change and pivot with the technology uh, you know, languages change, frameworks change, engines change, and mm -hmm. if you if you don't understand why certain things are working under the hood, um, I think it be, it makes you a little bit more of a narrow skill set. So for engineering, in particular for schools that teach that, like I think um, uh, full uh, the Redmond area, I can't remember the name right now, unfortunately, but it's, it's a four year gaming program. But, uh, oh. Yeah, Seattle area, I think. Yeah. Uh, Digipen. Digipen, yeah. Like the, I've seen some of the graduates there have really strong math backgrounds. It's a pretty intensive sort of engineering, like specific um, program for for gaming. But then there's other programs like here in Vancouver, like the Art Institute, which is kind of a generalized gaming degree for teen months. And some candidates, for sure, will will get to that level. But I think it's it's kind of surface level for for some of the roles here at Microsoft. So I think for engineering, some of those programs haven't necessarily been super successful for us. Animation, game design, you know, producer standpoint, those are those are better than you know some of the the university programs. And then from an indie perspective, I've I've been trying to you know push our teams on because I think uh, sometimes we tend to like look for 
intermediates to seniors and, and we don't sort of new grads or, or folks from smaller sort of indie projects as we'd like. But I guess how I try to like change the conversation with, um, you know, those hiring managers, I say, you know, that thing that we bought called Mixer, you know, that was started by two guys in high school that didn't have an engineering degree that didn't go to a college and you know now look how successful they are so i think um i'm trying to change the conversation because you know a lot of this a lot of these sort of mindsets within microsoft have just been built up over 30 years of like engineering culture and so it, it's something that we're trying to change and we're trying to get a little younger team so i think you know that conversation is changing and, and they're more open to that um, but I, at the end of the day i still think there's a baseline sort of minimum requirements that you know, you'd need to fulfill whether you come from a university or you come from another big studio or you come from indie. Like, uh, I think there's still you know, just baseline requirements that anyone would need to fulfill. But I think, you know, the the scrappiness of the indie, you know, pop developer, um, you know, is something that uh, I think would would help to change the culture within Microsoft. Is my microphone working? Yes. I'm glad. It's yeah. it's really good to hear you say that because that's the way I. I went to college for a while and, uh, you know, I actually didn't graduate, but I've studied computer science fundamentally. And mm -hmm. I see a lot of people who simply do not understand the holistic ideology of software development. And they don't understand the difference between that surface level scripting and, you know, developing an architecture or a framework. I guess I, I apologize. That's not really a question. I just, no, no. I, it's just sort of another viewpoint. Good from, I think something that we've noticed with some of these, um, and these aren't game specific, but you know, um, they, they're kind of like uh, lighthouse labs, which are, you know, teaching, um, you know, web programming languages from, from what we can tell they're teaching you how to, languages and frameworks together and that's fine and you can build product that way but like what do you do when you need to scale that product or you need to make it more secure like i think if you don't really understand like what scalability is and and some of those sort of underlying topics then that product very small scale or or but it would have trouble scaling so um, we, we want to just hire like you know for the most part engineers and not Sort of people that just understand how to like cobble code work uh, using like a frameworks online and um you know a lot of the the stuff open source stuff today will do most of that underlying stuff for you um so i think yeah in, by and large we're looking for people that are, are a little deeper in the engineering stack and that that doesn't apply to every team and every position but just in a general sense that's that's what we're looking for so uh what kind of positions do you mostly hire for it sounds like definitely a lot of engineers do you hire game designers at all? The Gears of War team, you know, we I've hired every. Okay, so you've, you've been in the process for every position so far, yeah. <laughs> for sure. So uh, game game design's uh, an interesting one for sure. Uh -huh. um, I think uh, they're important there. Um, uh, I won't talk necessarily about hard skills because I'm you know I'm not a designer myself, uh, but I think um, a lot of it comes down to. Um, you know, do you understand like sort of fundamental mechanics um, and economies and, and sort of just the different styles of game? Like what makes a first person shooter game like um, Call of Duty different than a third person shooter game like uh, Gears of War? And like, what are the what are sort of the differences in those? Um, and then how like how would you partner with a game designer on, on those specific challenges? So all games are, are not really created created equally and there's different things we look for. But in general, like I think um, good sort of documentation processes and being able to not only come up with a good idea, but um, be able to sort of document, you know, what that idea is, what the goals are, and then some perspective. So if, if you have a sort of a, a game design feature or mechanic, like do you understand what the engineer needs to do from an underlying systems perspective related to like locomotion, you know, FX, uh, uh, animation, um, audio, and all these other things that need to, um, you know, make that feature or, or um, 
feel right. And then I think uh, there's other things in terms of just being very collaborative. Obviously, there's a lot of um, touch points uh, with the game designer, working with production, engineering, like I said, audio, art, and being able to like get out of your desk and like you know evangelize your feature and, and, and get people to buy into that feature. Um, and understand why that feature or mechanic is important to the overall game or experience. Um, so I think that that's really important. Um, and then lastly, I think um, like I think um, there's a lot of good ideas that come up that just aren't going to make it into the game for other for for you know other maybe it's too expensive or you know maybe it's cool but it doesn't really fit the universe of that game or the character or the or the, the story arc or something like that. And so designers get a little bit too attached to their idea and it can kind of negatively affect um you know they, they just won't move on or up or they get a little bit upset that it wasn't an idea that was taken seriously and so one of the things that, that we evaluate um and and i think um like the passion side is is um, super important from game design like one of the things that we look for when we're hiring for Gears of War is not necessarily are you the biggest Gears of War fan. I think that that's always a plus, but you about like the top 10 games, like are you going to be able to break them down like from a systems perspective and like what, what made them fun and just have like, you know, good knowledge of what's happening across the industry in terms of trends or emerging things that are happening and so when people come in for an interview you know for a game design role and they said oh you know i haven't really been playing games the last couple of years like no higher decision based on that but that's that's just kind of a disappointing answer particularly for someone in design uh yeah you need to know the, the industry basically mm -hmm. now i have now that's nc i would i would say that but I'm in the, but I have been for the last year or so in the full tilt of teaching myself to program again, having gone rusty. I'm mm -hmm. taking the big leap, essentially. I'm going to AIE and I'm taking a full time attack at preparing to prove it by creating portfolio materials that not only, mm -hmm. I'm not only building a game, I'm going to build the game and I'm going to document the system. Uh, with like flow charts and stuff so you can see how it works with just a glance you know like with a binder uh, and uh i guess what i'm gonna ask is so i'm gonna be going pretty much full time for a couple years to just prove it because i'm that guy basically and uh in the summer between i'll have time to make a game uh, it sounds to me like you guys would probably like to see something networked <laughs> I guess it depends on a team. I mean, I'm just going to be doing it alone. <laughs> like you said, the frameworks are out there. so. Yeah, I mean, I mean like it depends on the team doing the hiring and what they actually want. Yeah, well, I guess what I'll say is what would you like to see in a portfolio from someone who doesn't have a formal degree or like a BS in computer science to prove it? Yeah, Or, or an, another phrasing of that question would be what are some of the biggest gaps or most common gaps that you see in portfolios? Uh, in general, for those types of positions. Thank you, Olivia. Are we yeah. still are we still talking about for for game yeah. design or for engineering? Well, I'm a designer, and I mean, I engineer things because you can't make things without designing them. So I guess <laughs> you're interested in design. Then. I do both. <laughs> I I will do either. You know, I love. Right. Well, see, that's the thing is, I love software engineering, and I love game design. So and that's. Well, first of all, that's always a, a very appealing skill set when designers have a good grounding in engineering because I think a bit more educated with the programmers and, and sort of understand their constraints and like maybe call bullshit if they're saying that can't be done. Because <laughs> sometimes, you know, the reality is engineers, if they're not necessarily bought into your feature or mechanic, they, they could try to talk their way out of it by saying, well, we can't do that for this reason or that reason. So, you know, if you have some grounding in engineering, then you can have a, a more engaging dialogue on that and, and try to influence a little bit differently versus like someone who has no grounding in engineering and just sort of has to take take their word for it. Um, but I think from a portfolio perspective, and especially it's especially harder with people like earlier in career that, that may have not, you know, shipped any games yet or you know, they, they're still working on their student projects. So it, it's a little harder for those people to, um, you know, have a body of work. So I think 
Um, what I would suggest for people early in your career is, is try to just keep the portfolio sort of um, a little bit more focused. Um, I think the tendency can be to just sort of throw everything you've done or everything you have up there. So from that perspective, I think, you know, just like sort of the layout and the, the, the display of your portfolio can help and just make sure that content is being is being showed and um you know i think there's other things that you could do if you don't have a game like you could do like you know game analysis type thing right so maybe you just pick five of your favorite games and you try to break them down in terms of the systems and the, the sort of story and the character and the progression and just sort of do like a you know game designer analysis on these things to show people like you know, the insights that you have on these games, um, or maybe you've got, you know, design documentation for uh, games that you haven't built yet or that you'd like to build. So um, I think more and more these days there, there's, because I know you're in school or you have a full-time job, so there's not a lot of time, but there's there's no real excuse for people not to have the ability to go into Unity and just try to build something, you know, like there's a lot of free systems out there, there's libraries and assets that you can pull from and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a triple a game but just demonstrating that you know this is a, a true passion of yours and you've you know utilized the tool the free tools at your disposal to at least get in there and try to start building something so um again it's a little harder for people that are earlier in career as you're just sort of building up that portfolio of work um the other thing is like maybe getting involved with game jam the, the 24-hour game jams and things like that um, which again is something that you can point to as being experience. You're working with a multidisciplinary team under deadlines. It, it shows that you have passion because you're doing this stuff outside of like school or work. And so that I think modding communities also provide those opportunities. So I think there that you can do that 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 will you know. Yeah, I have some you. advice too. Okay, yeah, go uh, ahead. So the. I, I think for designers, it's very important to be able to talk about your creative process and to think about it critically. And so doing things like writing postmortems is very, I, I, it always impresses me when I see people do it. <laughs> uh, and especially if it's, even if it's for like a side project, like, oh, this is the postmortem of my random side project. Like, here's what went right, what went wrong, what we should have done better. Uh, or even your game jam projects, especially those are kind of easier to do because it's a smaller project, so you can really pick it apart more easily and talk about your design decisions, how they changed, especially if you can also talk about play test data and feedback. I personally think that real design work happens in between of play testing sessions. Like you make your idea, you make a prototype, then you test it on people. You see what it plays like. And a lot of the testing you can do on yourself, but really it's not real until you do actual players. And then you iterate, you make changes. And I, I think that's where the core design work exists. And so if you can focus on that and like, again, fo like find a way to showcase that in your portfolio and or if you have like a blog or some other way of expressing your, your critical thinking about all of that, I think that helps a lot. Uh, I had a follow-up question, which is, uh, it seems like game design, like for many of the technical roles, uh, I, everyone seems to have a much more crisp understanding of like how to land a technical role. Like even if it's like programming or even art, like, yeah, just build the portfolio, do the thing. Um, but for game design, it's always, and it continues to be more uh, obscure for people. Uh, and so just for some, I, I thought it might be illuminating to ask what kind of roles do you see many game designers who get hired or at least strong game design candidates? Like what kind of roles have they worked on in the past? Like, even if they're surprising, maybe they're not necessarily games roles. I guess most of my experience would be hiring for the years of work team. And I guess they are fairly particular about the type of what they want. Um, and right. Because like FPS design is like a standard it's like a little cottage industry <laughs> and yeah. so it's almost like another More games so industry lately <laughs> you know the, the big triple a sort of massive titles you know there's not as many as them as there used to be um but i think fine with like the question it's just i feel like out of all of the positions that we hire for game design has continued to be the most challenging and so one of the things that we started to do is to implement similar to what our first 
talking about, which is sort of exercises and tests as part of the interview process. So we, uh, a couple, like a week before the interview, we asked them to do a paper design of, of like a multiplayer map, and then they'll spend some time going through like the choices they made. And then we also have them go into Unreal and um, uh, build a single player uh, level and a mission within the single player level and just talk about weapon placements and enemies and balancing and things like that. And so that's one of the things that we've tried to do because I think it, it, like designers are, are by nature, like, you know, good communicators generally, and um, they can talk a lot about games, but I think we want to see um, the rubber hits the road, so to speak. So we've, we started implementing some tests. So um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, but the design traditionally has been the hardest and they are the most important, I would say, within your project. Um, you certainly need to have good engineers that can and, and make the design work and you have to have good artists to, to have quality assets. But at the end of the day, the, the design is really what to that game and keeps them coming back and monetization and all those things. So for you, um, I think it's just in my experience because what we've been looking for is so narrow. Generally, I know, like, you know, I'm going after people from like Ubisoft or Activision and people yeah. who have some experience in these areas. We hired anybody from more of like a non traditional source on that team and whether or not they're successful. Um, we had earlier on um, in the studio's formation, and it was, it was refreshing to see some of those people make the transition into that type of game given some time to kind of fully understand universe and, and what makes gears gears from a design perspective but we've been very focused on people who've got you know experience in fps or third person mm-hmm. shooter games so i'm going to ask a question Answer, ian posted. But, uh, <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh, I, ian asked uh, do you do any sort of recruiting at events at all like outreach basically and if you do, how do you handle potential applicants in, in those scenarios? Yeah, we do uh, we do recruiting events, and we've done things that have taken... To... Oh, your mic cut off. I can't hear you.
Welcome back. Okay. I'm back. Hey, There's another question from Zane here. Let's see. Should you navigate the interview if the company does something you're critical of? Who's into picking with companies and shares money? Bad games, do you avoid the topic? Tell them the death innovation of Fortnite. <laughs> Good question. Um, and I think it's really about how you how you um, communicate that thought. Like if it's in a respectful, like I'm actually like honestly just curious as to your thoughts on this versus them or like berating somebody because you don't agree the you know the the, the is going um like i think it's a dialogue and it's and it's okay thing to ask um the way that you ask that question and make making sure that you frame the question properly and, and they know it's coming from a, a place of curiosity or of just really wanting to know, know what our strategy is and not a place of um you know putting them down or, or saying like the direction you're taking is, is, is not right or, or, or something like that. So, um, you know, I think some of these, you know, some of the things that you, you do when you're interviewing a candidate is want to know about, you know, strategy and things like that. So I think it's fine to ask those types of questions, but just the way you frame it. Think of Microsoft. Mm, no. <laughs> Good answer. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I mean, you know, we've all thought that internally, right? I mean, we've, we've had these sort of first party franchises for a while now and, you know, relative to some of the other companies like Sony and the first party content lineup they have, um, we haven't really taken as many risks there. I think Sea of Thieves is doing very well, which is a recent, um, you know, new IP that we released. But um, now is that we're, we're, we're going to be broadening away from from just Xbox and, and really trying to capitalize on the gaming market as a whole and, and much presence in mobile, um, some of these sort of social and casual areas. Um, so um, I'm not saying that we're going to go out and build a bunch of content, but we do have specific expertise around um, Azure and web services and um, like support mechanisms for people to build their games on our platforms and utilize those services that we can provide so uh, i don't know what the specific you know first party content strategy might be but i think um, the fact that we're just being hardcore console um, uh, as a business and, and take advantage of the, the the broader gaming opportunity is really interesting and that, that should you know have us broaden our our, our worldview on, on gaming from a content perspective as well uh do you really like working at Microsoft? Half years, I wouldn't. <laughs> if I did, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be here. But yeah, yeah, but, uh, it's softball. Yeah, it's softball, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I've, I've actually liked every company that I worked at. I've, you know, I've had great managers, great opportunities from a career perspective. I feel like this this role is, in particular, very dynamic as the projects change, the the sort of hot change, um, you know. A while ago, it was all sort of cloud and engineering, and that was sort of the hot area. Now it's sort of machine learning and data science. And now it's going to be quantum and AI. And so, front of these like sort of emerging technologies and getting to know like what's coming from a business perspective. And you know, I've just had great managers. It's a very flexible work environment. I have you know a young family, and so I, I you know I can kind of come and go as I please as long as my work is getting done. And so yeah, I've been feel. Sorry, I might be like a little bit here, but um, when I think about some of the big technology companies, uh, I won't name other names like mm -hmm. Microsoft's mission, which you know the, the formal mission is you know our goal is to empower everybody and every organization on the planet to achieve more. We're not here to monetize your personal data. We're not here to track all of everything that you're doing online and, and serve up ads. Um, we're really here to provide software and services to make people and organizations, um, you know, achieve more and, and you know, bring something new to the world. Um, I've, of course, there's things that, you know, we do as a company that, that probably could be done better from a social perspective or technology perspective. I'm not, you know, no, no company's perfect, but I truly believe the heart of our, our company mission is, is sort of somewhat altruistic and 
philanthropic company across the globe. We, we give away billions of dollars every year to charities and other organizations in the form of cash and softwares, and that's you know employee and corporate given. So, um, yeah, I, I love working here. Um, it's a fantastic company, and you know, a company of hundred thousand people. There's so many opportunities when. Once you get in the door to go to so many different businesses, different disciplines, different positions. So there's there's no real ceiling. There's so many people here that have worked for 25, 30 years at the same company and found themselves with, with new opportunities. Do you have any advice for someone who might be thinking, like, what if I was a recruiter? Like, as a career path, like, any advice for that? <laughs> How to get into recruiting? Maybe. Or even, like, what skills are good in recruiters have you ever recruited a recruiter <laughs> oh, yeah yeah of course um i'm hiring someone right now uh, i think for me like and again it's come back to the initial topic it's like i think someone who puts candidate and client experience as like kind of their north star and make sure that they're providing them with a, a, like a human experience as much as we are a big corporation with a lot of software that you know automate certain things like we want people to feel like they're having a like a true interaction. Um, and then beyond just sort of the, the mechanics of managing the process for candidates and clients, like I think it's important that recruiters like get to know their businesses, um, understand like, you know, the, the sort of financial models, the business model, like the, the software development life cycle, peaks and valleys. Cause I think it, it helps you to be more educated, you know, when you're talking to candidates, if you know something about the business, like, yeah, times have been, on the phone with people trying to sell them on Gears of War and they're asking me questions about culture and what tools are they using and you know because I had a curiosity to know those things I was able to, to answer them and I didn't have to say sorry I'll you know I'll ask the team to get back to you every time they ask me a question and I think that's one thing that a lot of recruiters don't do like they just don't really understand like the business that they're in you know the competitive landscape and so um, I, I look for people that curiosity and kind of want to know how things are happening and that hopefully will make you more educated to both your candidates and clients. So multiple times that like, I guess they're, they're, people have been surprised, but like, you know, I know about the tool sets and, you know, the pipelines from Unreal and blueprints and, you know, all those different things. And, and that's just because I'm curious and I kind of like to know that. Yeah. Uh, so it's noon. Uh, do you have to, you have a hard stop? Do you have to go? There's one more question from you. Yeah, before a few minutes. What tools does Gears of Wars use? So they use Unreal 4 as their, uh, obviously, their game engine, and they've been using that for a long time. They use... Um, Is it C++ uh, Some other... Well, but, yes, for yeah. most of the uh, the core gameplay stuff, but we also have, um, like, a, a web services team that does a lot of C Sharp and uh, sort of... Um, oh, the networking stack. And then we have FX people that use Houdini for a lot of their um, sort of prototyping and concepting. And then we obviously have to, to get that into the engine. Um, and we use um, F, FMOD at first, but I think they've moved over to the Unreal system because it. I think they, they now support Dolby Atmos, which we were the first one of the first game titles to, which I just had my first demo on two days ago at in Redmond, which was incredible. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dolby Atmos, but it's like next generation surround sound. And you can literally hear like going from one side of the room to the other behind you, in front of you. It, it was incredible. It was like a $25,000 speaker system. But I think like from a game design perspective, that light up with so many different scenarios, especially for like uh, horror genre games where something's creeping up behind you from the right or the left. And so yeah, it was fantastic. So, uh, and then they use Maya for, for art. Um, animation. Um, yeah, they use the Unreal Animation System. We were trying to build our own um, custom animation system for a while, but um, ended up just falling back to the, uh, the animation system in, in Unreal although we did partner with the engine team specifically around animation and graphics because there were some things we wanted like uh, tessellation and, and you know, HDR and things like that that I don't think Unreal 4 was set up to, to have at the beginning. Um, but we had a really experienced animation, engineering, and rendering team that wanted to push on that. So we've worked pretty closely with them to, uh, to build the capabilities for Unreal Engine, and that just goes back to the relationship that Microsoft's had with Epic over the past 15-plus years. And, 
the Gears of War franchise. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I can share your LinkedIn. Is there any other like stuff that you want to plug? Uh, there was also a related question, which is like, uh, what should we follow in order to make sure we hear about like recruiting events and stuff from your team? Yeah, um, I think you know we uh, <laughs> uh, they would go to the bigger ones. So we're at GDC every year, um, and mm -hmm. um, you know we have the and we used to do the booth, but just hasn't been as, as beneficial previously. So GDC is a big one. Um, E3 will have a small presence at. Um, we've looked at going to Gamescon. So those are, you know, obviously the big ones, which a lot of companies outside of Microsoft would do. Um, and then the other events that we would probably do would be a little bit more networky or invite only. Um, and uh, um, so, yeah, I think for now, at least for now, we've just been focusing on the, the bigger events, which kind of social advertising around, but um, again, just like any other big company, there's there's going to be a presence there. All right. Chances are you can find us, so. Thank you very much again. Uh, I can't hear you, but. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I was just saying thanks said, and trying to close up. No, I, yeah. I appreciate the opportunity and hopefully people found some useful information. Um, feel free to connect on LinkedIn if you have any follow-up questions and, and you, yeah, you gave a uh, you, you gave us permission to record right um, yes yes cool so we have the recording and we'll post it up uh, at some okay. point and I can send it to you if you want to share it around too <laughs> okay yeah no worries and yeah like I said hit me up on LinkedIn if you have any follow-up questions and anyone joining and uh, if you're not in the industry I, I I'm rooting for you and hope you get your opportunity soon. Awesome. Have a good Friday and good weekend. You oh, too. yeah, man. That's a fun campus out there. Security guard wandered around. People were pretty nice. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty spoiled. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't say that. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. Uh, well, see you later, everybody. Thanks, Davio. Thank you.